Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You know when you're sniffly and you can't breathe through your nose, so you breathe just through your mouth? This show's like that. It's like breathing through your mouth and then tasting the world on your tongue and then closing your mouth and then swallowing the goodness of the world and then um, not choking and then being at one with the universe. Adrift with Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. Hello. Hello. I'm in. I'm in a good mood today. Good. I was just singing to myself then while you're in the toilet. I did accidentally sing. I was trying to sing. Oh, oh the grand old Duke of York. That's a weird choice. <laughs> Wait till you hear what it came out as. Right. It came out as Oh the Dirty Duke of York. Oh, is that another version I of the don't song? I think so. The one you just made up. I sang Oh the Dirty Duke mm. of York. I don't know where that came from. Yeah. We are. We're particularly bad at getting lyrics wrong in our family. Oh really? By which I mean me and my mum. She was singing to my son a while ago, and she sang Row, Row, Row Your Boat Gently Down the Street. Oh, three. So, I know. <laughs> okay. So, you know, we've we've got our problems. Mm. I, I'm, I'm in such a good mood today mm. that I was walking down the street whistling to myself earlier. Is that an actual thing then? Do people do that when they're happy? That's what I did, yeah. Mm. Do you think it's annoying? Um, no, I think it's lovely. I'm not a good whistler, but I wonder if it is a, it's a dying thing. Do you see millennials, happy millennials whistling to themselves? No, we don't. I think you don't see whistling milkmen. Mainly you don't see milkmen, that's right, why. Right, right, yeah. right. They were the big whistlers. Yeah, yeah, they? yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know why I'm so happy. Back when I had a job, I'd be happy this week because it's a short week. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. So it's Good Friday. Yeah. Uh, this coming Friday. It's Easter holiday this weekend. Mm. Um, but in my current life, it means nothing to me. No, no, they're just the same as you, Chef. If, if anything, it's an annoyance because the nursery's shut. Oh, so right. I can't sort of offload my son for the day. <laughs> okay, right. So, um, so yeah, Easter holds little in the way of meaning mm. for me this year. Right. Um, I don't know if I'll even bother with a chocolate egg. Oh, come on. I might do. You've got to bother. I've well, already had one. Have you really? Yeah. How big, like a mini egg or what? No, like a proper one because my mum, she bought all the grandchildren Easter eggs and she didn't want to leave Rudy out, but he couldn't eat it, so I did. <laughs> and I thought, well, I better not eat it like at Easter. That would be wrong. I better eat it now. What is, why would it be wrong out of interest? Because it, well, not, it's not mine. Because I have it before I can pretend it's not an Easter egg. I can pretend it's just chocolate. <laughs> but it's not just chocolate. It's in the shape of an egg. I know, it was. At the Last Supper, mm. they had eggs and they all thought, oh, God, eggs for supper. This is a weird <laughs> supper food. So Jesus turned them into chocolate to cheer everybody up. Is that right? I don't know, really. Mm. Eggs is a weird food to have for your dinner, though. Eggs, you think? Yeah, I think there's a cut-off. I think you can have something in the spirit of... Um, 
I want to say a frittata. Then say it. At dinner time. Fine. A Spanish omelette. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, but I, I generally think that eggs are a, a morning or lunchtime food. So if I had scrambled eggs on toast for my tea. That's not right for your tea. No, um, absolutely not. No, good. no, it's wrong. There's a, there's a restaurant around the corner called The Good Egg that's really lovely, mm. but it always seems quiet to me if an evening. <laughs> and I think it is because the association <laughs> is with egg. People think, oh, I can't have an egg for my tea. <laughs> yeah, maybe. My brother-in-law, as I've mentioned many times, he has a food truck in Chicago called the Fat Shallot, mm. or Fat Shallot, as they say over there. And it does classic American sandwiches. And I think probably at some t- some stage they'd like to open a restaurant. But you can't have a sandwich for your dinner, can you? No, that is wrong. But an egg, eggs is the same thing. Can you mm. imagine settling in for an evening with a boiled, boiled egg in front of the telly? <laughs> I'll stop doing it. Yeah. It's one of my great gifts in life that you can name a food and I can tell you what time of day it's uh, you, 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 what the window you can eat it. Well, I don't agree yeah. with you on a lot of it. Try me on Pano one. chocolat. Pano chocolat, can't eat after midday. <laughs> I don't agree. It's a breakfast food. Um, does it apply to times of day or times of year? Because I was going to say cornetto. I think a cornetto you can have at any time of year. Right. <laughs> But um, I think you can't have one before about 10 in the morning. <laughs> I think any time after that. I think we can all agree on that. <laughs> I change it to 12. No, but imagine like a, a baking hot day, you're out and about, you pop into the news agents, think, oh, a nice Cornetto to cool me down. Five past 10, it's fine. What's the name of that one? That's... You couldn't have If you had them in the freezer at home, yeah, yeah. you couldn't be having one before two in the afternoon. <laughs> Okay, what about this? That one that's like, it's got sort of a sorbet middle and then sort of an ice cream and isolated swirl around it, like a twirl around it. Do you I know, know what, what you're I mean? talking about. Well, anyway, it's an ice cream. I once had it in bed in the morning. <laughs> what do you think? What do you think? Inappropriate. Okay, I, agree. I saw an ice cream bed a while ago and there was, I can't remember what they called it now, but it was basically like a deluxe version of a 99. So it was a, a cone. Mm. It was whippy ice cream, it was a flake, and then, and then crashed into it as if it was like a spaceship that had crashed out of space, was an ice lolly. No, yes. <laughs> that's disgusting. <laughs> They've gone too far. Yeah, I think so. Um, if anybody uh, would, would like to employ my gift for knowing what time of day it's appropriate, mm. give me another one, anything. Okay, what about, um, let's have a think, bag of twiglets. Bag of twiglets, midday. You can, you can have it after midday. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And then you can have it in the evening if you want. I, th- I think so. I think so. Because um, maybe, actually, I think you can have it any time between midday and five. Yeah. And then any time after half past eight. <laughs> Bowl of cereal. Bowl of cereal. You can have it up until 10.30 in the morning or you can have it after 10 at night. Uh, after 10? Yeah. This is so strict. Yeah. Okay. I'm really, it's a gift, isn't it? What about um, a Rivita with a thick layer of Philadelphia on top? Just give me a sec. <laughs> give me a sec. I don't know if there's a time you can't have that. No, I found the one thing. You can yeah. have any hour <laughs> yeah, of the day. Yeah, yeah, I think so, yeah. Well done me. Yeah. Like, I'd be unhappy if you were having it for your dinner. Mm. But, but it's permitted. It's, yeah, it's not permitted. You, like, you couldn't have it for your dinner. Right, okay. But you could have it during dinner, dinner the dinner period. <laughs> Okay, thanks. You're welcome. You will be reminded of this show and this feeling. Adrift. When you wake up. Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port, Adrift. So we would like to hear from you if you haven't yet shared your story with us. Now is your time, my friend. Your Mm. fellow drifters await hearing your tale of social ineptitude. You can email us hello at adriftpodcast.com. From Will, first of all. 
When I was 17 years old, I did some volunteering as part of the Duke of Edinburgh Award. I helped a charity set up by Nottinghamshire Police to collect donations of clothes, hospital beds, computers and so on to be taken to Albania where they were distributed to families, hospitals and schools in low-income areas. This culminated in a trip to Albania where I joined the convoy lorries on the three-day drive from Nottingham to Tirana and met the people and communities to whom the aid was being given, writing up the experiences in a blog. A few days after arriving in Tirana, we visited a local school which would be receiving donations of books, desks and computers. We were greeted by the school's caretaker, a friendly, smiling older man who didn't speak a word of English. I immediately stepped forward with my hand extended to shake. But to my confusion, he just stared back at me. At that age, I'd not been very exposed to other cultures. Was shaking hands not universal? Maybe they didn't do it in Albania. But then I remembered shaking hands with other people I'd met there, and so I politely waited with my hand outstretched. After a couple of seconds, I even helpfully waggled my arm, miming the greeting that I was trying to initiate. He still only stared back at me with a faint smile. The kind of smile I realised that one might give to a simpleton. What was I doing wrong? Surely I couldn't be so socially inept as to mess up a simple handshake. I couldn't tell you how long this silent encounter dragged on for. Ten seconds, perhaps, although it felt like thirty. Finally, I broke eye contact to look for any kind of clue as to what I was doing wrong. It was at this point that I noticed that my new acquaintance had had both arms amputated at the elbow. To this day, I will frequently disappear into an internal hole of shame as my brain spontaneously decides to remind me of that moment. Thankfully, once the penny dropped, the man did not take offence. His reaction was to bend over double laughing at me while I turned bright red and to gleefully relay the story in Albanian to every other staff member we met on our tour of the school. Oh, that's great, you see. So I have learned, I think, over a number of years through not not quite as extreme examples as that, but Mm. uh, similar things, that the thing to do is to address it. Right. You know, I, I don't know. I feel bad here because I don't know what the correct term for what used to be called a withered hand is. What? Like, I'm sure you don't say withered hand anymore. Fairly I'm, sure. I'm pretty sure. I mean, would you never go, oh, look, a withered hand? You wouldn't say it like that. No. When, no. Oh, okay. Oh. Not sure what to do here. What What? What, what, okay. do, we, what do we do? What's yeah. the etiquette? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That feels like a good way, way dealing with it. it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, on to Aaron, who writes, I went to the optician yesterday for an eye test. I think now some of the preliminary tests are done by sales staff rather than the optician to save time. So I was taken by one of the staff members for two quick tests before seeing the optician. The first one was to take a picture of the back of my right eye. A bright light was flashed into it. Instantly, my vision was completely red and then blue like a filter was on my eye. I wondered if this was normal, but then I worried if I asked that, the sales staff member might think I thought she couldn't do the test properly because she was not the optician. I didn't want to look rude, so I accepted that the machine was set too high and I would now go blind at worst, and at best maybe everything will look blue now. As I like the colour blue, it would be fine. I was too shy to say anything, so to the left eye, a bright flash, and everything went red and then blue in that eye too. Within a few minutes, my eyesight was back to normal, so I'm guessing what happened is normal. I really question myself now on why going blind was a better option to me (laughs) than checking if something was normal during the test. I think we can all relate to that. Definitely, definitely. Finally, from Colin. Nearly 20 years ago, I started my first job. What I had not known up until this point in my life is that my social anxieties extended to being extremely uncomfortable sitting in a toilet cubicle next to somebody else. Whenever somebody entered a cubicle next to me, I found myself sitting silently and pretending I wasn't there until they'd done their business and left. 
On one such occasion, when I'd only been in my first ever job for a few months, I was sat in a cubicle and somebody came in and went into the toilet next to mine. In my newly established regime, I sat silently, waiting for them to leave, pretending I wasn't there. Sure enough, the confident fella finished up, washed his hands and left the toilets. But not before turning the lights off on the way out. I couldn't believe it. The gents had no windows. It was pitch black. And this was about a year before my first mobile phone, so I had no way of producing any sort of light. I couldn't risk feeling my way over to the light switch by the entrance. What if somebody walked in? (laughs) So I sat and waited. I sat there for at least 10 minutes, silently worrying about what to do, when eventually somebody came in and switched the light on and then went into the cubicle next to me. If the shame of being in an adjacent cubicle was enough to make me sit silently before, I had no choice now. What would they think of me? What kind of person sits in a toilet cubicle in the dark? I sat in complete silence while the confident and confidently noisy gentleman went about his business. I prayed that he would soon leave and please, without turning the lights off, I could be here all day if this awful cycle continues. But even if he did as I wished, I was beginning to imagine that all my new work colleagues were starting to talk about where I'd disappeared to for so long. (laughs) After an eternity, the man washed his hands and left the gents, thankfully leaving the light on. Like a flash, I got myself out of that cubicle. Conscious that by now, everybody I worked with was probably stood by the office door worrying about me, I ran out of the toilet, out of the side entrance and into town. Rather than admit what I'd been through, I bought a meal deal from Boots and walked back into the office with it, loudly telling everybody that I was extremely hungry at 10.30am and had had to leave the office in a hurry to get myself a sandwich. In the following 20 years, I've never done a poo in a cubicle at work. Oh, that's good. Yeah. It just uh, took me back to when we worked at the radio station. There was a guy called Eric who worked there. Mm-hmm. He was an eccentric fellow, I think yeah. it's fair to say. Mm. And he would do a thing. So so there, there were no urinals. It was just... Um, Every, in the stairwell, every floor had a couple of cubicles. And if he was in a cubicle and he heard somebody go into the next one, mm. he would let out these howls of anguish. No. Yeah, it sounded like if a man could go through <laughs> childbirth, that's the sound they'd make. Um, and he'd never mention it, but he'd just sort of do it to freak people out. In well, the it next would totally freak people out. Yeah, yeah, it freaked me out the wow. first time I heard it. Yeah. Um, please share with us... Your story, um, I, I love going to the lengths to pretend that your blood sugar had dropped and you needed to go out for a Boots meal deal at yeah, 10.30. 10.30, yeah. <laughs> because the truth is, probably nobody noticed. No, of course yeah, they didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is the exact type of story we're after, please. You can email us, hello at adriftpodcast.com. Later, when you go for a walk, you can take this show with you so that you're not left with your thoughts because we know what's going on there and it's just, it's, it's quite scary. You should probably consult a doctor or you should maybe get a dog and then walk with your dog or steal a dog, but just um, dogs can help you because they suck up your dangerous thoughts. Adrift with Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. Campbell. Yes. You have prepared a story. Yes, I have. On what topic? First love. Mm. So first love, it never ends well, does it? We know this from the greatest first love stories, Romeo and Juliet, Catherine and Heathcliff in Wuthering Heights, Catherine, Michael and Ralph in Forever by Judy Bloom, and then me and Giles Ollie. Our love came to a sad end when he moved away with his mum and dad when we were both five. Oh. It was serious, though, because I asked my mum what she remembered in case I was romanticising the past, and she said that he was always telling me he loved me. 
Oh. Yeah, it was really serious. But he moved away and then about a year later, he sent me a letter with two photographs, one just of him and one of his new class. And the letter told me about his new all-boys school and he was going into great detail about how this all-boys school had one girl there too. I don't know if he was trying to gently break it to me that this was now his new girlfriend or that despite this temptation in his path, he was still true to me. <laughs> I never really got like the subtext of that. <laughs> I often thought about that girl and what it would be like to be the only girl at an all-boys school. My secondary school was all girls and there was an all boys school next door and the only adjoining building was the canteen. But we were still kept separate because the kitchen was in the middle and then the girls serving and seating area was on one side and the boys on the other. So you could just peer over vats of burger and chips like <laughs> t- to the other gender in the far distance. And you know, it, it really was obviously things like burger and chips. Like Jamie Oliver wasn't around no, in those no. days, was he? My friend Kirsten had got clear braces and within a week the lie made they sold in the canteen a stain them green (laughs) just put up with that for two years (laughs) but the segregation between the boys and the girls he wasn't just confined to school premises because to get to the bus stop to go home we all had to walk up the same road but the boys had to walk on the left side pavement and the girls had to walk on the right side pavement I know it sounds like I went to school in Victorian times. But the school has got no jurisdiction over the pavement. I, I have no memory. I think you were just told that it was just a terrible sin and you weren't allowed to do it. And so no one did. Like If any girl did dare go to the other side, it was like she was a cross between Stormy Daniels, Wallace Simpson and Nell Gwynn. Like all those <laughs> rolled into one. It was so scandalous. But I, can't, I don't know how they enforced it. But I do remember there was an option in the sixth form to go to the other school if they did an A-level subject that you wanted to take. Like we did psychology at our school and didn't at the boys' school. So I think one boy came to ours. And one of the girls went to the boys' school and her name was Katie Hawes. And I think it's so brave to go into that kind of environment where you're only known by your surname Mm. and you're the only girl. Mm. I think, what was she thinking of? (laughs) I don't care how desperate she was to do woodwork or whatever it was. (laughs) The only time that the boys and girls were allowed to mix was the school disco. So we couldn't be trusted to eat together or walk up the same side of the street together. But we could slow dance in a darkened room together. That was totally fine. Slow dancing's funny, isn't it? Dancing slowly. Like, why is that romantic? It's so weird. But I had my first slow dance when I was 12. And it was to Jackie Wilson's The Sweetest Feeling. So I know it now sounds like I went to school in the 60s, but they, they did re-release it in the 80s. Do you remember? There was like a thing, there was like a lot of 60s songs were used in jeans adverts and things. Yes. And hits again. Yeah, yeah, it was quite the thing. So I slow danced with a boy called Scott and he wasn't even from the boys' school next door because someone had just brought him along. He was from another school, so he was really exotic, even though I think he was just from Canvey Island. But, you know, an island, exotic. And I really... There will be people who are listening outside the UK who hear Canvey Island. Oh, and, I mean, island. That, that will conjure up something. So I like Bahamas? Yeah. But I didn't let this love pass me by because I did really like him. And I didn't wait for him to demonstrate any interest in me past our slow dance. I found out his phone number and I called him up and I asked him out on a date. Now, when you're thinking of a good place for a first date at any age, you're probably thinking cinema. That's a good one, isn't it? And at 12, I think a normal date would be to walk up and down the high street, wouldn't it? Like so, yeah. from where I'm from, you might go to the pier, South End, you yeah. might go to McDonald's. But I called him up and said, do you want to come swimming with me on Saturday? A first date where you have to be semi-naked. What was I thinking? Like, what did I think we were going to do? Sort of swim lengths next to each other. Maybe some petting. I think I must have seen that poster and just assumed that the swimming baths were a good first date place. Anyway, thank God he said no. And I spent the next few months listening to Sweetest Feeling over and over again while crying. Sometimes I mix it up a bit and also cry to Benny King Stand By Me, because it was also in the charts at the time, one of the many, many songs. So it was all very sad, but within a year I'd bounced back 
And I was on a first date with Tim Meredith, who took me to an aquarium. And when I say aquarium, what I actually mean is a shop that sold fish. <laughs> now that is a good first date. Hi, uh, do you mind if uh, just signing on this uh, clipboard? Uh, it's just $4 a month. You can give money to this charity and then uh, it will just come straight out of your bank account. And then we can turn into an evil corporation and take over the universe and then kill babies and small children and women. Jeff Lloyd, um, Annabelle Port, Adrift. Thank you to you if you are supporting our podcast on Patreon. Um, We really, really appreciate it. And if you're not yet supporting us on Patreon, if you could just spare uh, a couple of American dollars or a bit more, if you're flush with cash every month, it really helps us to uh, keep the podcast going. Um, So go to patreon.com stroke adrift. Last week for our $10 a month or higher subscribers i managed to upload the video Mm. of annabelle uh doing a quiz Mm. you were quizzing me basically trying to get me to admit that you're a better person than ed miliband who i do the other podcast with the questions were somewhat weighted it was somewhat weighted a little bit to be uh, a nice insight for everyone into your relationship with both ed and me i think well there's you know there are now three of us in this marriage yeah yeah Uh, so that's up there you can watch that and there's a couple of other bits i want to try and get up um in the near future including today annabelle Mm. drove Mm. uh, here to record the podcast you finally got me to Spend some money on vouchers. I'll, I'll reimburse from you. the local. We can take it out of the Patreon money. Oh, okay. That's what this. This okay. is when I say this helps keep the podcast going. Yeah, yeah it literally does. It really does. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so you, you're now driving here on occasion. Yeah, yeah. So I made a lovely video of Annabelle oh, parking God. today. But can I just say it wasn't just parking; it was parallel parking in was, a very tight spot. It was quite something. What I loved is I don't live on a uh, on a broad. I don't live on a boulevard or anything like that. Mm. But ni- neither is it like a tiny little street that only a horse could go down. That. Yeah. Um, it's it's just a regular street full of terraced houses, and um, there were a couple of times Annabelle tried to park when another car or a van came up behind her. And rather than sort of pulling in and letting them pass, you then went to the lengths of driving around the entire block. You saw how long it takes me to pull in and let them pass. Five and a half minutes. That's how long it took me to park. I I couldn't have a car behind me for five and a half minutes while I try and pull in far enough so they can pass. So I just think, I just have to just go. I just have to go around the block. I had to do it twice. It's awful. So anyway, so I've I've videoed this. um, And it is. I mean, it took Annabelle five and a half minutes to get into a parking space. It was really challenging. I mean, the parking space itself, you... You know, you could have got a lorry into it. <laughs> Two small cars. <laughs> and you were just trying to get the one small car oh, into it. No. So what I might do is put it on like some kind of speeded up fast motion thing. Oh, God. But yeah, that, that make it look quick then. That's yeah. Good. yeah. So anyway, I'll put that up on Patreon soon. And if you would like bonus content like that, <laughs> then uh, you can find out more about our different rewards for our Patreon supporters. Go to patreon.com stroke adrift. Adrift. Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. Adrift. Well, it's official. I'm uh, I'm decrepit. No. Yeah, I've really hurt my back. I've been lucky in life that I'm not some... My many ailments, mm. and don't get me wrong, you know, I still have my ongoing ailments. There's something new almost every day. Mm. Uh, today I was worrying that maybe I've got throat cancer. Okay, right. Because it was slightly sore when I was swallowing. Right, right. Okay. But, mm. you know, I, I do understand that despite my hypochondriacal tendencies, that too will pass and there'll be something else tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But one day, I mean, one day it will be something serious. Anyway, so despite all that, I've I've been lucky. I've not really had any back trouble. Then the other day I was lifting my son, who is almost two now up, mm. and 
oh my God, Annabelle, I was in agony in my upper back for the rest of the day when I put him to bed. It hurt so much putting him into the cot that I then had to lie on his bedroom floor whimpering in pain. No, whimpering. Whimpering, yeah. He thought it was a game, so he was standing up in his cot pointing and laughing at me. It wasn't a game. (laughs) Like what pot is for a game in your house? (laughs) (laughs) So, um... So, yeah, it's just been terrible. I went to see a physiotherapist. Because he's serious. Because I've never had back trouble before. I made the mistake of putting a thing on Facebook saying, hey, I've never had back trouble before, Mm. but this has happened. What should I do? Should I put a hot water bottle on it? And there are just so many different people giving advice. Somebody said, oh, you want to put put ice on it? Somebody else saying, put heat on it. Someone saying, do lots of movement. Somebody else saying, don't move. So I thought, I've got to go go see a physiotherapist here, which is is what I did. And it was just wonderful. She was saying, oh my God, you're so tense. You're so tight. It's the best thing to hear. It's all you want to hear. Um, You know, in terms of general massage, I could do without being touched. Mm. I just want somebody to tell me what a hard life I must have. Oh, you must be so stressed. And how I'm a real soldier. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But a normal leg should be able to go up 90 degrees. Mine goes up 40. (laughs) (laughs) So you mean if you're lying down and you lifted your leg up, Mm -hmm. it should go like up to the ceiling and yours basically just points to the wall? Yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah. Because I'm so tight and tense, oh, I distribute my weight badly. Oh, shit. Oh, it's just wonderful hearing all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. So basically, the physiotherapist says to me, I've just got to take it easy for a while. Right. And do as little lifting as possible. Mm-hmm. What lifting I do do, I have to do it in a very specific way. Okay. Um, and she says, just, you know, try and do these exercises, these different stretches, and then, you know, just rest up as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Now, as somebody in a relationship... Mm. With a, a baby. Yeah. How do you think that is playing out in my marriage? Oh, so you're kind of dodging a lot of the, the heavy lifting, basically. Yeah, but yeah. I don't want to dodge it. Mm. I just can't do it. Well, well if, you, if you've been told doctor's orders. So if that was your lover, Tom, mm. would you be feeling sympathy for him? Yeah. I get, yeah I get, or would you just be annoyed that he wasn't? A, no, if he's in a lot of pain. but I was, No, I'd both. I'd be annoyed right. and I would have sympathy. Right. So I, th- I think that's how it is in yeah. our marriage. Sarah yeah. is unable to show very much in the way of sort of pity or right. nursing right and she but she does feel bad that i'm in pain mm. but i think she just more resents that i'm not able to mm. do as you say the heavy lifting yeah yeah so we went out at the weekend mm. she's she's got her son in a pram mm-hmm. and usually when we go to the you know on, on public transport if there are stairs involved you know we carry the pram together yeah yeah oh yeah you can't do, do it. So I'm out in public with my wife oh. and she is picking up a pram single-handedly no. with a baby in it and marching up and down stairs and escalators. Well, I hope you did the only thing you can do. Pretend, pretended you went with her, right? Exactly. Yes. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. But what is, what is the correct way to handle this stuff? <laughs> I found out in this week's The Incident. <laughs> Hayley Campbell is a writer and journalist. She's also six foot one. I asked her about her experiences of having emasculated men trailing behind her. Uh, it's interesting how men respond to it. I think that being six one is a very good asshole detector because, um, you know, you'll find, you'll talk to short men and some of them are completely fine with it and never never comment on your height or have any problem with it. And I like them because I... I 
can't really, I can't be heightist at my height. I can't say I'm only going to date men who are taller than me because that's like three men. And, <laughs> and and in in New York, it's even less because everyone seems to be about a five foot nine attorney or something. Yeah. Um, so you find that there's the, the short men who don't care, which is wonderful. And then there's the short men who do care and never want to speak to you. And then there's the short men who find you kind of a fetish, like you're some weird mountain that has to be climbed. And um, <laughs> those ones are very strange. And I, you know, have had sex with some of them and they, they get a bit odd. Um, you know, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of, Robert Crumb comics and Robert Crumb is obsessed with giant women and he draws himself being piggybacked around. And um, I ended up having dinner with Robert Crumb one night and I asked him if anyone ever asks him if he wants a piggyback these days, because he's, you know, old and breakable. <laughs> and so it's probably, it's probably a bad idea. But uh, I asked him if he wanted a piggyback and he kind of leaned over and he squeezed my thigh as if I was like, um, you know, cattle at the market and he was seeing if I was capable. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I said, you know, what am I doing squats for at the gym if I cannot piggyback an elderly cartoonist down Dean Street? <laughs> so, so he said, all right then. And so we went outside and I piggybacked him up and down Dean Street and he was kind of holding onto my face and saying I was a fine specimen. <laughs> <laughs> and I've told people that and they go, oh, that is so creepy. And I'm like, are you kidding? Like Robert, Crum people think Robert Crumb is misogynistic because he worships giant Amazonian women and, you know, draws them all the time and draws, draws himself being piggybacked around. But like, I think he loves them. And, um, you know, finding uh, um, a guy like that who like worships that is rare and excellent and you know he is he, his comics can be kind of creepy and gross sometimes but i love them so there's that and then <laughs> then you find the the men who are my height and they're a bit weirded out by not being the tall one they like to be you know the the powerful one in the situation and you think why like what is you know, what is so lacking in your personality that you need to make up for in size? <laughs> and I find that sad. So do you feel I should just, just le lean into it? I'm physically incapable at the moment. I should let my big, strong wife, um, you know. Do you know what? I, I love watching women when they've got, like, they've got a baby strapped to their body. And I've seen them in the, the, the tube, they pick up these huge prams. Like I'll make some vague gesture, like I'm about to help them, but that kind of <laughs> not non-committal one, because I'm not sure which bit of the pram I can touch without yes. it falling apart. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have kids. I don't know what to do. So I see them, I see them pick up these huge prams, which have bags hanging off them and shit tucked underneath. And, and they just lift them like they're nothing. It's like mothers lifting cars off babies if, they if become anything, superhuman I'm, I'm doing a service to the world letting letting the world see that women are superhuman and strong yes i just admit you're useless you know <laughs> i there's there's nothing i love in the world than than uh nothing i love more than a man who says i don't know what i'm doing or i'm sorry or i'm a fuck up you know just admit a failing rather than trying to cover it up because everyone can see you're trying to cover it up and uh 
I think it's pathetic. So that, that it's trying to cover it up is far more pathetic than being pathetic in the, uh, in, in the original. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Please, please... Please get in line and stand by the wall. I'm not going to shoot you. This is a show called Adrift. With Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. So I'm very excited. There's a new Wes Anderson film out. Yes, I know. I, is it I Love Dogs? I Love Dogs? Well, it's, it's great because it's like the I Love Dogs. And there's a, yeah. there's a an island in the Thames in London where um, Canary Wharf is built, this mm. big sort of financial centre, and it's called the I Love Dogs. Yeah. But it's great because you, if you say it fast, it sounds like I Love Dogs. I Love Dogs, yeah. So it's called I Love Dogs. Um, <laughs> what a fantastic place to live that must be. What does it mean? People purely say, for I Love people Dogs. People say, where do you live? You say, I Love Dogs. Yes, but where do you live? I Love Dogs <laughs> yeah, too. Yeah. Um, anyway, so Sarah and I are going to go and see it at the weekend. Good. We got a babysitter. Do you love Wes Anderson? And do, you love the, dogs? The, the, I do. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's a match made in heaven mm. for me. Um, so we've got a babysitter and we're going to go and see the 10 to 9 in the evening showing. Okay. Because basically what this film is, is a stop motion animation. Mm. He did it a few years ago with Fantastic Mr. Fox. So it's not his first animated film. Mm. But I guess ostensibly it is a children's film if it's an animation. I suppose so. Or suitable for children. Yeah. And I've had bad experiences in the past going to children's films at the cinema. Right. And worrying about being creepy. Because uh, you're there during the day and there's lots of kids. And so I went to see film, Wall yeah. E. Remember that film? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Pixar film, I yeah. think it was, on my own. On your own. Uh, and and I, I could feel mm. parents oh. glaring at me, thinking, oh, why is that man in no, the cinema? It's not fair. Well, the worst one was so, as I've talked about on the radio and on the podcast, we had a hard time with Sarah getting pregnant. So we did IVF and there was a miscarriage and it was, you know, very, very rough for a while. And the, the Christmas, while we were in the throes of it, the local cinema showed a Muppet Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. And we really loved that film. So we thought, let's go see it in the cinema. So we turn up and they said, uh, have you got any? Uh, have you got a child with you? And we're like, no. Mm-hmm. Like, well, you'll have to go and sit on the balcony then. Oh, my God. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Segregation. That's so bleak. I know. <laughs> oh. Please join me in this bubble that has been forever locked in the glass by the blower. It's, it's their breath. It's horrible. Adrift. Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. All right, Quandry Corner. Here we are in Quandry Corner at the Glap Clinic. In, in the, the problematic. problematic. Very good, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Um, if you want to know what the rule is in any given social situation, all you need to do is email us hello at adriftpodcast.com and we'll tell you. Annie wants to know this. She says, following on from Annabelle's public transport tales, if you are pregnant and need a seat, how do you select what passenger to ask to vacate their seat? What are the criteria? How do you do so without making the person you ask feel guilty they didn't offer you their seat first or worry that it was something about their physical appearance that highlighted them above anyone else? 
I could never decide, so inevitably, inevitably just stood the whole journey rather than risk offending someone. Well, I've never been pregnant myself, Mm-mm-mm. but I feel you've got carte blanche to make people feel guilty in that situation. I just think none of this stuff should occur to you. You have to be careful. You know, you have to t- check that you're not asking an infirm or elderly person mm. or... Um, you know, another pre- fellow pregnant person. Yeah, yeah. But apart from that, make them feel guilty. I would always wonder what would happen if there were two, so there was one seat that was allocated for the pregnant person and two pregnant women. Like, how would you decide? Would you have to say how many months you were? Like, how ill and tired you were? <laughs> I often wondered, like, who would win? So you, you're talking about you get on, say, for example, a tube. Yeah. There's one empty seat, two yeah. pregnant women getting on at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I just think, other people have yes, to be getting up. That's true. I just think it must be brilliant to have that moral high ground. No, just to be able to glare at people. No, let me tell you, it's awful because all you do is feel incredibly self-conscious because you think that everyone's thinking that you want them to stand up, and you just feel. And the worst is when you get on and someone goes, "Oh, um, yes, there's a pregnant lady here. Can someone give up their seat? So, so who's going to be you? That's happened to me. And that's absolutely humiliating. I would love that. Oh, it's I awful. Think. It's really? so embarrassing. When Sarah was pregnant, she had no qualms about asking people to move. I've never done it. Um, and so, but then sometimes if I was with her, I would do. It and it felt so powerful. No, and how would yeah. you pick the person? Did the person in the pregnancy? Just like think who here's here's what you do actually. You just look for the person you least like the look of. <laughs> okay, there you go. We got that settled. Like if somebody's pretending not to notice a pregnant person, mm-hmm. if there's something annoying about them. Mm-hmm. Got the headphones in. They're disconnected. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's how you decide. Yeah. There's your answer, Annie. Yeah. Look for the person that's going to irritate the most. <laughs> okay. Yes. Okay. Okay. And this one is from Guardian of the Realm, Mark Jones. I'd appreciate your advice in the GLAP clinic. I was recently working away from home in a city that I'm familiar with, but the colleagues I was working with were not. As such, when it came to meals, I was the one turned to for recommendations, which is a situation I hate. I always try the, well, is there anything you fancy line to try and move some of the responsibility onto them. But it's always met with, oh, I don't mind, which makes me always think that they really do mind, but they're testing me to see, one, how good my recommendations are, and two, how refined my dining tastes are, and they are not. One day last week, I recommended a burrito place, which everyone went along with, but I subsequently found out that one colleague then moaned behind my back (gasps) to others about how bloated they felt for the rest of the day. (laughs) (laughs) Behind my back. The only way I can think of dealing with the situation is to come up with some excuse about needing to be somewhere else or doing something else around lunchtime. But surely there must be a more adult way of dealing with this. Any ideas? Well, self-sabotage, you know, you could just recommend a terrible... You could make The next three times it happens, like recommend terrible places mm. and then you'll get a reputation as a bad recommender. Now, I personally would hate that because mm. I pride myself on my recommendations yeah. and as regular listeners will know, I can feel quite slighted if people don't take my recommendations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Here's a, a really annoying one that happened. Go on. Some friends of mine mm. from Sweden yeah. came to London... yeah. We all, you know, and we were all going to meet up and go for dinner. Yeah. And rather than saying to me, the person who lives here, where shall we go? No. They got a recommendation from somebody in Sweden. No. And then I had to go. Ultimate insult. Isn't it just? What was it like? It was pretty good, actually. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I've been back a few times. So it's still, oh, okay. still disgusting. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so the question, so it's about, rec- can, can you just pray see the question for me again? Yeah, so basically he doesn't want to have to deal with the situation, doesn't want to have to recommend how can he get out of it, even though everyone knows that he's the one who knows. 
How would you, I mean, how do you feel about being asked for recommendations? I, I, I totally agree. I hate the pressure of it. I hate the feeling that, oh, the, what if they don't like it, it's my fault and they'll blame me. Mm. And I would take it personally. So, so I would struggle too. So do you have a, do you have a rule? Well, no one really asks me, luckily. Mm. I tell you what, if someone does ask me, I often go, oh, you should ask Jeff. <laughs> He's good with that. That's what I do. I bounce it onto someone else usually. Oh, that's a good idea. Someone who I think has got better dining taste than me. Yeah, 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 yeah. So basically own your own unsophisticated palate. Yeah. And if you don't have anyone else to bounce it onto, um, look up a website and say, oh, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm nervous about recommending something, but go on this website, it's brilliant. Oh, but you've also, there's a great opportunity to be passive aggressive here. Oh, go on. So what you say is, oh God, don't ask me for recommendations. The last time I recommended somewhere, it got back to me that people <laughs> were complaining about how bloated it made them. <laughs> so I would ask such and such, or I would look up such a website. Yeah, there we go. Um, if you have a quandary for Quandary Corner here at the GLAP Clinic in Problematic, then email us hello at adriftpodcast.com. And that was our podcast. Thank you for listening. And if you could find somebody else and persuade them to listen to it for us, we would love you forever. Failing that, if you haven't got any friends or you've you've exhausted the possibilities, um, then you can leave us a review on iTunes. That comes in very handy. Thanks to Man and the Echo for the backing music and to Emily Harrison for the incidental music. During the incident and advice on the incident this week came from Hayley Campbell. You can find Hayley on Twitter. And in addition to that, she hosts a fantastic podcast for the BBC called Unpopped, which takes very silly, frivolous bits of pop culture extremely seriously indeed. There are episodes about the Spice Girls and Come Dine With Me and RuPaul's Drag Race. You're thinking, I'm not sure about that. Well, you should listen to it. It's uh, it's really good. Vince Lynch and Simon Wilcox are our announcers and made our idents. Patrick Gunning and Iwana Babu provided technical support. Carla Gowlett took the photos and Kim Rainey made our artwork. Please share your story of stumbling in the human race, your social ineptitude. You can email us hello at driftpodcast.com. It's the same email address if you have a social situation where you need to know the rules in Quandary Corner at the GLAP Clinic. Problematic. And show your support on Patreon, patreon.com stroke adrift. And finally, thanks to Annabelle's mum for buying a big chocolate egg for a six-month-old baby. Oh, and in case you're wondering, any time of day or night is appropriate to eat a chocolate egg. Adrift. Okay, this comes from Brendan, who says, Hi, Jeff and Annabelle. Hi. I was hoping that you could give a podication to my wonderful wife, Hannah. We are expecting our first child at the end of March, and a podication would be a great way to introduce our little bump into the world. Oh, it would. It's a perfect way. Yeah. Um, I've been listening to you since the breakfast show with Pete. 
and after I introduced Hannah to the podcast, she was quickly chuckling knowingly and soon announced that these are my people. Oh. That was, I think that's how you knew she was the one. Yeah. Uh, Hannah will be an amazing mum, and we are very excited to meet the newest member of our family and future fellow drifter. Whoa, future fellow drifter. I mean, what you're doing by hoping your baby is going to be a, a drifter mm. is saying you're resigned to the fact that it's going to grow up socially inadequate. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure that's everything to aspire to, but no, why not? <laughs> Isn't that the big secret, yeah. though, that all the best of us are? Yeah. Even though we might not feel like it, mm. and even though when you see those confident, capable people <laughs> out there in the world, they're the ones who it seems like it's all happening for. They're crying inside, don't worry. Let's hope so. Let's hope so, yeah. Um, yeah, as well, well uh, yeah, con- congratulations. Um expecting at the end of March so that, I mean this is now isn't it yeah, this is yeah. this, this Any week day now. so I hope that all goes well for you um what was that when was that my chair that made that noise? yeah it was you yeah sorry about that was, I was trying to think of something poignant to say oh I'll tell you what somebody said to me recently it, might, it wasn't you was it probably what is um it? <laughs> it was it was an advice it was a woman who was saying it to me and they'd had advice from their mother oh not probably, me though, okay no. probably <laughs> No, actually. Maybe I just saw it on a chat show. My mum's only ever said you can't be too rich, too thin or too blonde. And like, look at me. I mean, God, so dark. (laughs) Um, The the advice was don't get too hung up on the day, on the birth. Like you've got thousands of days and they're the days. Don't don't worry too much about the the day you're giving birth and sort of savouring the moment of that. Okay. And just get painkillers. Yeah, <laughs> it's probably the subtext of what they're saying. Right, right, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'm mansplaining now here, of course, because uh, as I said before, I've never been pregnant mm. and I've never given birth. Do you, do you have anything? Um, yeah, just like yeah, get it over and done with. <laughs> what do you want me to add to that? My you looked at me expectantly. My then. wife wouldn't even let me try the gas and air. Oh, really? Yeah. Why not? I don't know. Under, oh, addictive personality. Yeah, yeah. She, you know, because of my alcoholism, she might have thought yeah. I'd have ended up addicted to gas and air and you, be like stalking would. hospital corridors, sneaking into maternity wards <laughs> and just inhaling. Yeah, she was very wise. Yeah. yeah, It's not an easy one to get addicted to, I don't imagine. Yeah, just in terms of access. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Canister. And carrying around. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, Brendan, Hannah, congratulations. Do email us and let us know. Mm. How it all goes, what, yeah. what flavour you get. Yeah, and name, please. Yes, of course. Have you got any suggestions for names? Um, Fenella, that's pretty. Like which Fenella from Chilton the Wheelies? Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. Maybe not that. <laughs> um, if you would like a podcast, email hello at adriftpodcast.com. 